When people do spoken word, why do they automatically talk like this and adopt a East Coast accent even though they're from California? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Maliki Click, episode number five. I was just browsing around Twitter and I came upon an article entitled Muslim Reformer Shareen Kudusi. She wrote an article entitled Why I Haven't Left Islam. Like, I don't know about everybody else, but like that title implies like Islam needs her or wants to keep her. Uh, or anybody else like like a political election trying to sway me. Okay, what can you say, what can you do to keep me as a practicing Muslim? First of all, nobody owes you anything. Islam doesn't need you. The Muslims don't need you. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't need any of us. Even the devout amongst us that salli every, every day, five times a day, Allah still doesn't even need that. So... And I'll I'll quote her article, I'm reading from it right now. So basically she goes, A few seconds ago, I deleted the original title of this article, Why I'm Still a Muslim, and replaced it with Why I Haven't Left Islam. I realized that that's the best place to start talking about this question. She says, So what's the difference? Islam is the philosophy, the ethics, and even the system of belief. Wrong. Muslim is much more personal. It's about the individual. And right away, I went, when, when anybody says Islam is a philosophy, no, it's not a philosophy at all. It's, it has everything to do with belief in aqidah. It's, it's very easy to prove and to believe as a Muslim, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. You know, right, you're, you're negating la ilaha, you're negating everything, illallah, except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know. So you can you can really tell from the gate that she doesn't she might be really ignorant of Islam in the first place, right? So she continues and says, I was born and raised in the ethics and culture that Islam in part birthed, whatever that means. As a young adult full of questions in a post 9-11 era. Now why do people need to mention 9-11 every single article that they write about Islam? I don't get it, you know? And so she continues, she says, I wondered in the, I wandered in the labyrinth of Islam as a philosophy. What? Islam offers a structure, a spiritual home for me. I don't condemn the structure. Like, how can you condemn? You do what you want. You can condemn anything you want, right? Again, she's... She's speaking from an entitled uh, platform, I believe. So yeah, I don't condemn the structure. Just like I wouldn't condemn the person. I look at what created the problem and work to undo the knots that turned something that had potential and promise into something that was manipulated and at times deformed. First of all, she's talking on like she's an authority on Islam like she she proved in the first paragraph that like she was completely ignorant right but now she's going to tell you how Islam has been manipulated and deformed so I'll get back to what she was saying Um, she says when I was first when I first started asking questions about Islam I had a really hard time still believing in the faith 
that doesn't stem from a lack of faith, but a lack of knowledge about the faith. I, 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 that might be true, you know. Um, all that was really available on the market to understand our, de- our identity were the usual skeptical uh, works paired with personal narratives. I needed to delve deeper into the heart of faith while continuing to develop my relationship to myself. Dude, what are you talking about? How could I possibly understand what Islam was when I was barely at the threshold of understanding who I was? What What's wrong with people the way they talk these days? Understanding who I was? Why do you need to understand who you were? Or who you are going to be or who you are? I mean, that has nothing to do with Islam. You're a Muslim, you believe in La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, you study your aqidah, you adopt a madhab or a fiqh, and you study the basics and then you move on. What does it? What is this uh, search that people have to go through about themselves and to discover themselves before uh, practicing Islam? I don't get it. Okay, continuing. At the same time, as I was struggling with a mainstream representation of Sunni Islam, there we go, I discovered another Islam. She discovered a new Islam, guys. What's that Islam? Sufism. Sufism represents a third of Pakistani Muslims. What does that even matter? I lived my whole life not knowing that a country I come from has one of the richest traditions of Sufism. Yeah, it really didn't start though there, though, uh, did it? A tradition carried through much of the Middle East and South Asia before it unfurled in the hearts of many more believers. Sufism was kept from me. Here we go. Entitlement. I, I, I am the victim. It's been kept from me. What else was kept from me, I wondered. I, I don't know. What, what's been kept from you? Maybe intelligence? You know, maybe uh, a high IQ or understanding of the basics? And so she goes on about this. I don't even want to read it. It's just garbage. She just talks about all these Sufi masters. And, you know, it's, you know, she, she just goes on to, it's like she's a Hindu almost, you know, she's talking all kind of stuff. And so she said, naturally, the guy that I studied with uh, was declared a heretic, heretic, you know. And in no way, shape or form, am I saying anything negative towards the Sawaf, because I myself am on the path of the Sawaf. You know, I'm I'm trying to do Tazkiyah every day. Uh, you know, and reading books like Imam Al Haddad, amazing books, amazing people, right? But it becomes very easy to understand a person like this would go all the way to the left and search out. I mean, even search out these people that have been declared these these so-called Sufis have been declared. Uh, heretics and naturally people like this gravitate towards people like that right so she goes on and she says uh, where am I okay here it is Um, today's heretics are those of us who see she's already calling herself a heretic right today's heretics are those of us who reject Islamist socialism the politicalization of faith and the prostitution of identity to secure a Muslim supremacist agenda. Who even talks like that? Who is this person? 
So she continues and says, some days I'm hanging on to Islam by a thread. I wonder why, right? It's pretty easy to see. But it's not about Islam, okay? It's about what's being done to it. What's being done to what it means to be Muslim. Through my life experience, a natural state of playful exploration and inquiry, the people I've met, the ideas that have shaped me, and most importantly because of the constant Islamist exploitation of the label Muslim as a political tool, I would love to push beyond the label Muslim. See, these type of people are like inventing new ideas within the religion and they, they want to uh, practice their own form of Islam, you know? I want to practice this belief, but I don't want to call myself a Muslim. I've, I've risen above calling myself the label Muslim. Right? Come on. She says, I would love to get to a point where I don't have to step into the Muslim box before I step onto a growing platform. I am still a daughter of Islam, but I have long outgrown the label Muslim. <laughs> Just like I have long shed the versions of myself that I was taught to be before I discovered who I am. Like, dude, are you about to enter a Buddhist type of nirvana or something? Who, who even talks like that? It's ridiculous. Again, it's really easy to see what ignorance and the lack of studying Islam, even the basics, what this can do to a person's I mean, look what it did to her. Look, look what it does to a lot of people. They just think that they're so intelligent and they're college educated. And they've, you know, Islam was a f philosophy and, and, I, and I'm so educated and I have new ideas and I don't want to call myself a Muslim anymore. And I, I've, I've uh, risen above the label Muslim and God, please, man, give us a break. So thank God the, the article's like almost over, right? So she says, faith is a private conversation between you and the divine. Okay, da'a, like making, you know, like in sujood or something like that. Yeah, of course, it's the closest that you can get to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Uh, but she continues and says, between you and the seasons of your life, uh, who you are as a person is a dream in form, a constant state of wonder, an organic unfolding and a creative potential. Again, like this is uh, Buddhist nirvana. I don't know. Uh, and the last thing she says is, what if we change the question from why are you still a Muslim to what could Islam be if we changed how Muslims saw themselves? Like I read this again and again and again. What if we change the question from why are you still a Muslim to what could Islam be if we changed how Muslims saw them. So, like you're implying that Islam is not enough. I need to put my my, my personal stamp on it from my, my so-called aql, you know. And, and by the way, she doesn't really sound like she has aql, right? I mean, anybody who is listening to this podcast, it's, it's really, you know, there's a stereotype of these type of people. It's really easy to see that these people are, are, are really not on it, right? Like... In closing, either you want to be Muslim or you don't, right? If you're a Muslim 
and those people that are listening out there, if you're a Muslim and you're ignorant of Islam, you know, that's fine. That's that's fine. You could, there's there's as long as you recognize that Allah is one, right? A lot of people don't really know about Islam. They grew up Muslim and they just know the culture and then yeah, I I salli five times a day. I, I, I do, you know, fast in the month of Ramadan, we go on Hajj, and blah, 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 we don't eat pork, and it stops there, right? I mean, we have a responsibility to learn our deen, and it comes, it, it becomes really easy to see a person like this, and there's a lot of people out there like that, that's the problem. They're not relying really on Islam itself. As, as a tool that can push them into, into actual belief and love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're more uh, depending on their own reason and their own philosophies and they want to turn Islam, which is already perfect, into something that molds around their lives and their thoughts and their own philosophies, right? That's what I see. So, you know, my final thing to people that, that are ignorant of Islam, you know, learn Islam. You know, carve out uh, 20 minutes a day and read about Aqidah. Uh, 20 minutes a day and, and, and learn about Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Eventually, inshallah, you will get there. You will know. But the thing that you shouldn't do is rely upon yourself. You know, you will never know Islam uh, if you don't study it. If you don't study it from people that do know, right? I mean... How are you going to draw your own conclusions about Islam if you don't know it in the first place? So study with those who do know, you know, and there's also alternatives, you know. You can learn things on podcasts. You can learn things by lectures on YouTube. There's the Mad Mamluks, you know, shout out to Sim and the whole crew. There's Safina Society, amazing show, amazing, that you can learn all type of things, you know. And if, and if you want to start your journey right there, well, that's okay because a lot of things, a lot of ideas uh, in, in, in from Islam are discussed in these shows, right? Uh, so that's my time. I hope everybody, inshallah, has an excellent week. And again, please, inshallah, for the sake of Allah, carve out a, a, a portion of your day to learn your religion, little by little. What do you got, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes? That's fine. You're going to get there. You know, attach yourself to a program like uh, uh, like Uwaylim. There's there's an Uwaylim uh, program with Safina Society uh, with Dr. Shadi Al Masri. He's an excellent teacher. You know, you got all kinds of good teachers there. Uh, so that's that's my time. Inshallah, uh, Inshallah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. This is the Maliki Click podcast, episode number six. And in this episode, I'm going to deal with uh, my conversion story or reversion story. The very first episode that I did was uh, dealing with my conversion story, but I didn't really go into a great deal of detail, but this time I will, inshallah. So my upbringing was pretty normal, I'd say. Um, I was born in California, Southern California, and, uh, you know, pretty normal childhood. Um, 
my parents got a divorce when I was a year old, so unfortunately. So she packed up, and we, we all packed up and uh, went to the Pacific Northwest, where uh, she remarried four years later, and um, actually grew up on a new uh, on a farm uh, from the ages of five to ten. That was pretty interesting. We had cattle and sheep and chickens and you know a whole farm life and uh, I, I really liked it I gotta say I had a good relationship with my stepfather uh, he's the one who bought the farm and uh, I mean nothing real out of the ordinary we I mean say when I lived with my mom and my stepdad there was really no religion there was no Christianity in the house you know, we would go to church maybe uh, once on maybe Christmas or always Easter, and that was about it. So I didn't really know anything about Christianity until I later in my life. I um, well, not not really. I knew about Christianity because as my my parents were divorced, I went back and forth. I went and spent summer times with my dad and then return to my mom uh, to go to school. So I think probably I found out about my my biological father's conversion, or as he put it, born-again Christian. He became born-again when I was around eight or nine years old. And I remember going to his church and... Uh, you know, just, just hanging out and basically going to Sunday school and stuff like that. Nothing really too hardcore. But I noticed uh, fundamentally he was um, a little a little bit more strict in the, in the daily life. So usually growing up on a farm, we had a, I mean, a huge field of corn. And it would grow to about, I don't know, five, six feet or something like that. So one of my most favorite things to do would to just get lost in the corn and just explore and to be alone you know and in the cornfield is usually where um, I just wanted to be alone and one day I just got I, I'd really had it I had a bad day and I was tired of going back and forth with uh, my dad and my my mom and you know and so we're in the I'm in the field and it's away from the house and so at 10 years old uh, I just get so angry and and I just blurt out to the sky why, why have you done this to me why do my mom and my dad have to be have to be divorced why why do I have to go here and there and get torn between I want to be with my dad I want to be with my mom and you did this to me God you did this why did you do this to me and I was 10 years old kid you know uh, but but still um, I was really struggling I think still with the, the separation between my, my mother and my father. And subhanAllah, just in nine short years after that, I would become a Muslim. So it's as if I know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala heard my dua and was, was just maybe in a way telling me, just be patient. You have no idea what I'm going to do to your life in just nine short, nine short years, subhanAllah. And so shortly after that, I moved in with my biological father in uh, Southern California. And I remember the first day him sitting me down at the table and telling me, look, we have some rules here. This is a Christian family. 
uh, you will be expected to go to Wednesday Bible study, Friday youth night, and Sunday church three times a week. There's no music in the house. There's no this. There's, you know, I just set down the, the, the rules, basically. But I thought that they were pretty, pretty strict, and I wasn't really used to it. So I just went through junior high school in Southern California. I went through high school, uh, you know, football team. That's just, that's just what I did. You know, I played football. I wrestled. Uh, and I went to church. Um, so one of the, one of the, well, one of the turning parts in my life was it happened at, when I was 14 years old at a Bible study. And so what we would do was basically read the Bible and then we would talk about what we read. So I was reading a Bible, reading the Bible and I, I came to two verses that contradicted each other. And I said, what, you know, I kind of looked at it and I said, this is, this is pretty strange, you know. So I took it to the, the pastor and I said, look at these two verses. They, they're contradicting each other, you know, it doesn't make sense. And the guy actually looked at me and he looked at the Bible and he said, uh, huh, I didn't even know that that was in the Bible. And, you know, as a 14 year old kid, I was like, well, hold on, wait a minute, you... You didn't know that that was in the Bible? Oh, you're, like you're the pastor. How could you not know? And how could you not know, have an answer for that? And so he looked at me and he basically told me, you know, I don't know what to tell you. And clearly, that, that, uh, that is a contradiction. But, you know, you just got to have faith. And when he told me that I just have to have faith, at 14 years old at the Bible study that night, that's when I lost complete faith in Christianity, 100%. But you know, as I'm a, I'm a white person, I'm an American. Society tells me that I need to be a Christian. That's all that I can be. So, you know, I went through the motions. That's all I did. I just went through the motions. Okay, Bible study, okay, yeah, sure, okay. Friday youth night, yeah, okay. Sunday church, okay, well, I have to anyways, right? So I would be in the church, and it's... I mean, the strangest things would happen. People were clapping and jumping and sometimes rolling on the ground and running down the aisles and Jesus this and screaming and crying. And, you know, as, as a young teenager, this confused me and it, it was pretty scary at times, you know. I've seen people stand up in the middle of a service or praise or whatever they call it and actually carry a message from Jesus as if, like... They're, they're, as if they're getting possessed at that moment and they're speaking as if they're Jesus. And I always looked at this and I thought, how do these people really think? And sometimes they would even say it's from God. I have a message to my people and so and so and whatnot and etc. And they would go on and on and on and it used to freak me out. You know, I mean, surely these people are not being spoken to by God. I never believed it in the first place. Basically, Church was about, it was a display of your wealth. It was a display of how good that you could dress up on Sunday. It was an open display to see how much that you could give openly to the tithing pot. They call it, uh, Christians call it tithing. Uh, you would say, we would say sadaqah. So, you know, I just, I think I went through what I call like a, like a faithless existence, you know, just, I existed 
and I didn't have any faith, and I just went through the motions. I, I did. I had nothing to do with Christianity, but I went to church and I did what I have did, had to do because I lived with my father, right? So, at 17, I entered the uh, United States military. I had to get signed in from my my mother and my father, and so I joined the military. In the military, I have to admit. I learned a lot of things, and the military, well, basic training in particular, has a certain way of weeding out weakness, teaching you how to be responsible, at the same time encountering many walks of life, classes, colors, people, so and so. You know, I don't really advise anybody to join the military. Um, as Muslims, you know, I wasn't a Muslim, so I didn't know any better. Uh, but it does have some, like, you know, it has some benefits to it, you know, definitely. So, you know, fast forward uh, to 19 years of age, and, you know, I don't know why. I don't really know why. I honestly don't. I just started to spiral downward, you know. Um, I was existing faithless. I had no faith. I had no moral compass at all. And so I started to hang around people that I probably shouldn't have hung out with. And it just went down from there. And so one night, I, I with uh, two of my friends, actually did an armed robbery. And, uh, yeah, so long story short, they, I got sent to prison for 31 months. Definitely. Being in prison was my lowest moment in life. It was my absolute rock bottom. I found myself in prison completely faithless, out of control, wild. And it was it was a pretty big shock to me. Uh but you know it's it's one of the best things that's ever happened in my life as well. Prison life is well it's it's not really like the movies. It's it's nothing that you can watch and then understand on a TV program or a movie or something like that. This is something that is constant. It's 24-7. It's constant chaos and tension and violence and just deception and everything bad that you can think it exists in prison. It's not a good place to be. I remember when I first got in the first day and uh, I think it was the chaplain who was asking new people Okay, we offer Christian ministry, we offer uh, Islamic ministry, we offer a Buddhist, you know, and he went on down the line. What, what is your religious uh, affiliation? And I said, I guess uh, Christian, I don't know. And he looked at me and he said, well, you're either a Christian or you're not a Christian. And that kind of pissed me off, so I was like, well, then I'm not a Christian then. And he was like, okay, well, yeah. And he, and he asked the next guy next to me. I pretty much lone wolfed it from there, you know. I was just a lone wolf. I wasn't a white supremacist. I wasn't a gang member. I was just somebody stupid who did something stupid. And so I really didn't roll with anybody. So what I would do with my time, other than lift weights and, and uh, study and read books was just walk the yard with my by myself, you know. So I noticed one time when I was walking by myself, 
there was this guy, he looked like a white guy to me. You know, his, his mustache went all the way down to his chin. I think they call it a handlebar mustache or something like that. So he was with about six black dudes. And so I'm walking a, around the track. And so this guy cuts in the middle of the field and he's headed straight for me. And I'm thinking, are these guys going to rush me? Who are they? I don't know who they are. And so he gets closer and he sees that I'm pretty apprehensive, like, you know, about something, something's about to go down. And so he tells the other guys, now, let, let me just talk to this guy. And so he just catches up with me and he said, hey, how you doing? My name's Omar. And I was like, you know, what's up? And he's like, well, uh, what do you know about Islam? And I said, well, I, I don't even know what that is. You know, what is Islam? And he kind of looked at me like, no way. I mean, you don't know anything about Islam. I said, no, I don't. And so he just said, if you don't mind, you know, we could just walk and I can tell you what it is. And I said, sure, why not? And so he broke it down, basically, you know, the basic tenets of Islam. And the way that he reached me was through nature. You know, he was talking about the creation, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had put everything in life for us, you know, sometimes even as a test, you know. And I, and I, really, I really enjoyed that, you know. He was talking about the sun, how it's 93 million miles away from Earth. And it, it's it's in a place, it sets up the earth in some type of perfection so that we can live on it, you know. And life is not inhabitable anywhere else in space. And that really interested me. So I went back to my cell and he just basically thought about what he said. So I don't, I don't really remember, like, the time frames. But shortly after that, we met again. And him and I just used to talk, and I found out that he was originally Turkish, so everybody called him Omar the Turk. So um, he asked me one day, he said, if I give you a book, if I give you our holy book, do you promise that you would protect it, and you would keep it safe, and you could keep it clean, and really, really try to dive into it and learn it? I said, sure, why not? Yeah. And of course, this book was the Qur'an. So I took the Qur'an, and honestly, I have to say, like, when I picked it up, before I even opened it, I've never read the Qur'an before in my life. I thought that I was going to read some stories about, like, a thousand and one Arabian nights, like Aladdin or some type of stuff. I, I didn't know. I had no clue. But when I opened up the Qur'an for the first time, and I began to read and read, and I had no, nothing but time, you know, I'm going to read it. And it was the same as the Bible. I was thinking to myself, here's the story of Moses. It's the same thing. Here's the story of Noah. It's the same thing. Here's the story of Jesus. It's the same thing. Here's the story of Abraham. It's the same thing, salam. You know, before I even became a Muslim, I entertained it, like, in my mind, like, could I really do this? And the shaitan came to me and said, how could you do this? You're white. How could you do this? You're American. How could you... You're, you can't be a Muslim. How can you be a Muslim? It's impossible. You're supposed to be what you're supposed to be. And so, you know, I would go out to the yard and talk with Omar, and he would say, what do you think? And then, you know, I would do my best and try to represent the, the fake type of Christian that I was and defend the Bible and, you know, try to pick holes in his, his religion, Islam. 
And um, the thing is, he had to answer for me every time. And sometimes it was scientific. And sometimes, I mean, all the time, it was something that I couldn't argue. The first time that I, I, I realized that I had really taken an interest in Islam was uh, right after lunch, we got back and uh, I start reading my Quran. In, in a prison, you usually have a cellmate, somebody who was there with you. And uh, so I was just reading the Quran and uh, my cellmate was like, what, what are you reading? I'm like, well, this is the Quran. Oh, I don't, you, you don't know what you're getting into. Don't do that. So I had all, all kind of people that were just telling me why I shouldn't become a Muslim. And what are you even doing reading about Islam? You know, but the first time that I really saw that I was really interested in Islam was, like I said, we got back from lunch and my cellmate was like, aren't you going to come to dinner? You, you've been in that book all day. What's wrong with you? Are you going to dinner or not? And I realized that I've been reading the Quran for hours. So that's when it was pretty hard to ignore that I had a definite interest in Islam. So Omar, he came to me one day and he was like, listen, I want to invite you to the Friday prayer, Juma. Just going to see, I'm just going to see if you're interested. Are you interested? And I said, yeah, I have to get permission uh, to, to set that up with the CEO and uh, but I can do it definitely inshallah so I remember when I requested to go to Muslim services as they call it the CEO he called me in and he asked me what are you doing going why do you want to go to this service with all of these black people he, he, he said a derogatory uh, term that uh, shouldn't be repeated. And uh, I said, well, because I want to. I just want to see it for myself. I want to see what they do. And he just looked at me and he, he just didn't understand. I said, well, what is this white guy going to Muslim services for? And so I went. Uh, it was the next Friday, so I went. And uh, I was the only white dude there, basically. You know, they're mostly African-American and uh, one Turkish guy, Omar. So we went inside and he showed me how to make wudu. And uh, we had we've been talking about Islam for weeks. And so I, I knew a little bit going into it. So, so long story short, he told me, um, so this guy is going to do the khutbah. He's going to make a speech and then he's going to read from the Quran, we're going to pray and all this. And, and I asked him, is he going to stand up and pray and read from the Quran? And he said, no, he's he's going to recite what he memorized. And I was pretty impressed with that. I said, these people, they, they memorize their book. It must, it must really mean a lot to them. And so I listened to the khutbah. And after that, I, Omar stood up and he said, you know, come over here and just like sit to the side and we're going to pray. And I said, all right. And so they prayed. And uh, the first thing that I noticed was how humble they were. Um, they were they were really humble. And so I, I, I snuck around and I kind of, I, I got to see what's going on. So I snuck in the front row and uh, I just kind of dipped my head to the side and, and looked at them praying. 
And uh, again, it was it was really humble. But it wasn't until they made sujood that I was just I was blown away. I had never seen them pray before. Uh, and I said to myself, I've never seen worship of God until today. These people are worshiping God for sure, and I love it. They've washed themselves before prayer. They read from the holy book, and then they're putting their faces on the ground. This is this is worship. Not the nonsense that I was raised with. People clapping and uh, running around like they're possessed and jumping up and down and rolling on the ground. No, I never believed that that was worship in the first place. So I guess you can say well, I, I believed in Islam uh, before that. But what really did it for me was the sujood. That that's what did it for me. Like it, it tipped everything to the to the Islam side, and I and I had to become a Muslim at that point. So they were done with their prayer, and he asked me, he said, "What do you think?" I said, "Well, I love it." And he said, you, "Really, you love it?" I said, "I don't." And I said something out of ignorance because I just didn't know. I wasn't a Muslim. I didn't know. But I told him. I know I'm a white guy, but I have to be Muslim. Like, is there any way that I can become a Muslim? Like, it's irresistible to me. I have to have it. And, you know, he laughed, and a lot, some other brothers laughed around me. It's like, subhanAllah, of course you become Muslim. There's Muslims all over the world. You're not the only white Muslim. And uh, so it was in 1991, in the last week of October, that I said, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wahduhu la sharika lah, wa ashhadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh. Now, life after that, being a Muslim, a white Muslim, incarcerated, it it was it was even harder, because now I was being looked at like by the white supremacists. You know, they had Aryan Brotherhood inside. You know, they have all kinds of gangs inside. What is this guy doing? What's his angle? Why is this white guy rolling around with these Muslims now? Alhamdulillah, you know, I got out of prison. Uh, I was just with the Muslims. We were going to Jummah. And uh, I, I dealt with it the best way that I could, you know. I mean, just like before I was Muslim. You know, I lone wolf it. I wolfed it. You know, except like now I was with Muslim brothers and they were teaching me Islam. And so I got out of prison. And, and I remember being welcomed into the the first Islamic center that I went to. Uh, it was a, an Egyptian brother and an African-American brother that were at the door and they, and they greeted me and they said, hello. And I said, hello back. And they asked me what I'm here for. I'm saying, well, I just got out of prison. Um, my, my parents have disowned me. And what I mean parents, I mean mother, father, grandparents on both sides, brothers, sister, everybody, everybody had just put, you know, it's either us or Islam. I said, well, it's Islam. And when they asked me, why is it Islam? And, and why are you ready to just throw everything out? Because you have to understand, I was, I was born and raised upper class. You know, I, I wanted for nothing when I grew up, alhamdulillah. And so they were pretty amazed. And so they said, why Islam? Well, how do you decide so quickly? And I said, it's because on the day of judgment, I'm going to be by myself. 
I'm going to have to answer for myself. Nobody can help me. I can't help you. And so when it comes to matters that are forever dealing with akhirah of, of the next life, I have to choose for myself. And so basically after that, they said, okay, you're, you're officially dead to us. You're nobody. And you know, a lot of converts, they go through the same thing. Um, so anyways, um, I was just learning Islam. Uh, being a Muslim in America, this is before 9-11, so back then it was easy, people didn't really look at you like you were strange, uh, it, not strange, but in like a hateful way, oh, you're a Muslim, it, it didn't really exist before 9-11, they looked at me more like, and on both sides, Muslim and non-Muslim, they looked at me like, why are you Muslim, like, we don't get it, even Muslims would ask me that sometimes, you know, from like, Arab countries, Oh, mashallah, I told them my story. I told, I told my revert story thousands, thousands of times. And so I would tell it, and then they would ask me, but I don't understand, why, why did you decide to become a Muslim? Like, it amazed me why they would ask me this question. And, you know, the thing that I used to go through is, I mean, pre-11 and post-9-11, is I'm the white guy, I must be the police. I, <laughs> No matter where I've been, you know, I've been around the world. I've been in uh, Arab countries. I've been Muslim. I've been all over the place. Everywhere that I go, I'm the cop for at least a month, right? I mean, I'm white. I must be the police. I must be CIA, FBI. I'm local law enforcement. Wallahi alim, I've, I've never been a part of any community, and I don't plan to. Well, I mean, law enforcement and intel community. I've never been a part of it, but... That's one of the struggles that a lot of white people go through is, you know, we're, we're not trusted because why would a white guy be here? Why would he be a Muslim and in the mosque? Oh, yeah, he's probably sent here to spy on us. So that's one of the one of the struggles that we go through. So, you know, I mean, here I am 28 years later. Um, the best thing that happened to me, bar none, was Islam, my conversion to Islam. And even the tool that got me there being incarcerated, being imprisoned, was one of the best things that happened to me because I just wouldn't have learned about Islam and just taken that pause in my life to really reflect about my akhirah. I really wouldn't have. So it was a blessing in disguise. So that's it. I mean, that's how I became Muslim. Um, if you have any questions uh, about everything that happened in between, Please feel free to um, mention it or ask in the comments below. Jazakallah uh, khair. Thank you very much for listening. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.